Shoecast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Stitchdown Shoecast, where we talk quality footwear, how it's made, and all the things we love about it. I'm Ben from Stitchdown.com, and today I'm beyond thrilled to be chatting with Bagus Setriao of Cigar Bootmaker, live from Bandung, where for the past decade plus, Bagus and team have carved out a well-deserved seat at the best bootmakers in Indonesia table. This one's been over a year in the making, so I can't wait to talk to Bagus about what the rise of international prominence for Indonesian bootmakers in the last half decade has been like, Cigar's uniquely cohesive design identity for a brand that consistently puts out a very wide range of pattern options, where he sees the whole thing going over there, and very wonderful large dogs with shoe names. But first, I need to give a special shoe cast shout out to our sponsor this week, Grant Stone. Boot season is now, they have the boots. Loafer season is right around the corner. They also have the loafers, all at one of the best values you could ever find in welted footwear. Check them all out at grantstoneshoes.com. Also, if you're just sitting around wondering, hmm, how do I support the shoe cast that I force my kids to listen to on road trips? Well, might I recommend becoming a member of the Stitchdown Premium Community and its beating heart, the Stitchdown Discord server. Sometimes I say a lot more about SDP on this podcast, so this time I'll just go with, trust me, you'll love it. Also, save the date as hard as you possibly can for Stitchdown's Bootcamp 2, a celebration of shoemaking in Brooklyn, New York, this October 12th and 13th, 2024. It's like 10 months away, so obviously we're still working on it a bit. But info on exhibitors, shoemaking classes, industry panels, and plenty more to come. But you can trust that wherever you may be in this world, Bootcamp is not a missable event. Not missable. More info and a great look at last year's event on stitchdownbootcamp.com. Can't wait to see you in the Discord and in Brooklyn this October. Okay, one thing before we get started with Bagus here. It was raining in Bandung the day we taped. Hard rain. Like that honestly kind of dope 90s Christian Slater movie. With the boats and robberies and stuff. We did our best to reduce the noise of the rain just hammering on a workshop tin roof. There's still a little bit there. Very tolerable, especially for this particular chat. But obviously I thought it was worth mentioning. You'll forget it in like two minutes, I promise. Also, believe it or not, English is not Bagus's first language. But even though he'd tell you otherwise, man, is he good at that too. Be sure to DM him with your compliments. All right, let's bring him out. Here we go with Bagus Satrio of Cigar Bootmaker, uh, live from Bandung, Indonesia. Bagus, welcome to the Shoecast. How's everything going? And what are you wearing on your feet today, my man? Hey, man. I'm good. Thank you so much for having, having me. What boots are you wearing today? We have to know. I'm wearing my Trailmaster Slow. I just made this like several days ago. Wore this during the trip to Central Java last week. I love them. Some sneakerish vibes. You know I love that kind of stuff. Thank you, thank you. I love them. I can wear them with my casual pants. Like right now I'm wearing my track pants. It's not easy to design a boot or a boot shoe or whatever it is that you can just pop on uh, with some track pants or sweatpants or whatever. But you make some of the best at it. Tell me about this trip. Where where'd you go? I went to Central Java. It was like 400 or 500 kilometers from my city. I'm visiting several artisans like uh, handwoven artisans, uh, natural dyed artisans, also silver artisan, leather artisan, of course, also. We had so much fun with communicating and yeah, talking about the industries and their possibilities to to gather the attention from international, you know what I mean? It sounds incredible. And yeah, I mean, just like 
the craft that's happening in Indonesia, I mean, I don't fully understand it. Obviously, the boot making is something that little clued into and and love and love helping other people understand. But yeah, it seems like there's just such a base of of craft and making throughout Indonesia. So it must have been pretty cool to go see it all and see what other people are doing in, in totally different formats. I'm happy to see the, the craft still alive until right now. It's pretty cool. So you grew up in Bandung, where Cigar is based, and it's the capital of West Java and second largest city in Indonesia. It's home to over 11 million people. But I'd love to just learn a little bit more about Bandung. Like, what was it like growing up there? What was going on when you were young? And and has it changed, you know, to today? Yeah, in short, uh, Bandung is known for its subcultures. The teenagers like me, when I was young, we grew up with uh, like MTV and uh, absorbed a lot of subcultures from you, from the uh, from your country, from the US, British. You can see street artists and like a group of 90s British bands. I mean, how did that interact with a lot of the traditional Indonesian culture that, that we just spoke about? There is a large government factories in our cities, but also small workshop combined with uh, traditional craftsmen here. So I can say Bandung is one of the creative city, maybe the most creative city in Indonesia, like a melting pot of a lot of cultures in here. What's the food like in Bandung? Food in Bandung was spicy. Bandung people love sambals. We call it sambals. It's like a lot of chili and spices also. Bandung food is great. you must come and try our food. I love it. Technically, uh, not not technically. My my blood was not Sundanese or Bandung. I'm from Java, but my I like Sundanese or Bandung food better than Java. I mean, one I gotta get over there too. I'm just gonna embarrass you. I'm like I'm not the best with spicy food. <laughs> really? Me too, actually. <laughs> I'm not eat spicy spicy food a lot. I just use a tiny sambals. Okay, so that's been doing. I'd love to hear your story of your entry into bootmaking and then Cigar's beginnings. Like the whole tale. There's an amazing interview that you did uh, with James, old soul professor, on stitchdown.com, where you guys talk about a lot. You talk about music and culture and motorcycles and the whole deal. Um, and definitely your journey there. But I feel like we've never actually discussed the whole thing. So where did it start with you? How did you want to start making shoes and boots and, and how did it progress oh uh, well it started when i was in the college i was study product design at first i was want to be a automotive designer because at that time the internet was not huge like right now so i cannot have a clear uh, information about automotive industries after i came to the college i just realized that maybe it's hard to compete on the automotive industry. So yeah, in Indonesia, it's hard. i beginning to find what subject that I must to study about product design. At the time, I was on a journey to Central Java. Yeah, a place that I we, that we talked before. I saw a Kwan Im goddess statue. It was like massive, like very huge. It was not made by our ancestor. Our ancestor was known for their skills to make temples and stone craft like that. But that statue was 
made by modern person, it makes me realize that maybe I should continue to preserve the craft that my ancient has do. So I'm contemplating again, thinking about what can I do. And then at that time, I was came to Cibaduyut. Cibaduyut was uh, central for shoemaking in Bandung. I visit shoemaker there, visit leather workshops, and I'm falling in love with the process. From then, I start focusing my study at the college to learn about shoemaking and bootmaking. That was the story. Were you into shoes when you were younger? I was having a deep interest to shoes and jackets since my uh, junior high school. What kind of stuff? Basketball shoes, like any other kids at that time, like Air Jordans, like Nike Air Force One, something like that. Same, man. Absolute same. And yeah, I mean, that was, that was it, right? But I think it's, you know, a love of footwear is pretty transferable, right? And then you realize that there are other exciting things, which, which you did. So, I mean, now you're in school. What kind of shoemaking were you studying? I was only studying about design. And for shoemaking, I study about cementing construction, not hand-welted stuff like I do right now. My final project was making hand-welted boots, my final project. But yeah, yeah, it was crazy stuff. Yeah, I, I made a deconstructed boots, you know, stuff like, like Guidi, Guidi, I don't know how to spell the Italian brands. Yeah, Guidi, like Guidi ones, like these shoes has been worn for like a hundred years or yeah, something like that. And you pulled them apart? Asymmetric pattern. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, what was that like? Like, what what did you learn by taking a Guidi boot apart? What did you see that was especially different from maybe some of the cemented stuff that, that you liked and, and were working on designing? Yeah, um, because at that time, I was uh, working at one of my favorite Indonesian bootmakers. It was Tegep Boots. Uh, I was working in there. I studied a lot about hand-welted boots. Yeah, I learned about fashion boots from them eh, from him unfortunately mr tegup has already passed away but the brands still continue and was that part of the the indonesian craft tradition like making hand welted boots before sagara yeah bef- be- before us before us but they use a different kind of approach both on the marketings and the products too we are uh, quite different but the root of the products was same, the hand welted. Okay, so you learned some of that, started to pull boots apart and then kind of create them. How did Sigara form? What was that like at, at the beginnings of it? And where'd you get the idea and, and what did it look like? You know, I mean, almost 13, maybe 15 years ago, right? I was in love with Alden's at that time. I really want to have a pair of Alden's boots, so I I try to make something similar with them, but a bit def- different from uh, our first collection, a bit different from Alden, but they, they have uh, inspired me a lot. When did you say, I'm going to start this brand? I'm going to come up with a name. I got to figure out some, some patterns and designs. What was that like? At the time, my dream was only make the best, not the best, yeah, a, a good boots possible and to be one of the best boots in Indonesia. I'm not having 
a dream yet to be known internationally from the name of Segara. At that time, a lot of Indonesian brands using Western name, not Indonesian name. Uh, I want to come up differently, so I use Indonesian name. From what I learned on the college, the logo or branding should be very, very simple. I, I want to different approach. I made the logo quite complex. And what kind of boots were you making at the outset or shoes or, or whatever it was at the beginning? It was a wingtip boots, like like a chaka, but wingtips. I, I didn't have that stuff at my shop right now. I have on the on my house, but it was a mid-cut boots, long wing with a wedge style uh, soles like Fibram Christie, but it was not fri- Fibram, similar like Fibram, but cheaper, uh, cheaper soles. It's hard to find a Fibram at that time. I didn't have a knowledge to import it stuff back then. So I just using what we have locally in here. And people like them? Uh, I think so. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was sold quite fast. Uh, we didn't make them in large number, but yeah, it it was good for our starting point to make the yeah, the business running at, at the first time. So what was that kind of growth process like? And, and when did cigars start to, you know, kind of catch and, and people began to take notice of it and, and just get excited about it? Like what, what was the growth of the, the business and, and the boot making like? Talking about growth, it was not, not that huge, but it was enough for us at this time. I mean, at this point, it was about maybe three, four, possibly five years ago. There begins to become this interest from American customers and European customers in Sagara. I mean, and, and Indonesian boots in general, but I think safe to say that Sagara is really at the forefront of that. What was that like when it began to be something that there was a curiosity about and a, and a desire for outside of Indonesia? I mean, that probably changed a lot, right? Well, I had to thank you about this because we will not be recognized without you, Ben. You know that. I owe you a lot because of uh, for, for this. Thank you so much. We, we learned about communicating because we had international buyers like since 2011 or 12, but not as massive like these past three or four years back, I learned about how to communicate and then split my like my job on the shops and my job while I'm in front of le- the laptops because I, I handle the customer service by myself. It was a fun process, but yeah, quite exhausting. <laughs> so I'm sorry, guys, if you are one of my customers and I, I was slow in respond. I'm really, really sorry. I Sorry, I, I'm really sorry. I was struggling with time management to split. Uh, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's so tough, right? Like, I mean, we've we've talked about it on the podcast. I've talked about it, you know, with you. Like, the way that things are done over there, number one, the boots are very legitimately handmade. And so that takes a lot of time. Obviously, they require materials. More and more being sourced internationally, which is probably tough. So you got to order 
as a small business, you, you don't have a thousand souls sitting there or a hundred sides of leather. From a, a brand perspective, I mean, just the photography that you guys do is absolutely beautiful, right? And that doesn't happen on its own. It's not like throw the boots on the ground and take a picture with your phone kind of thing. And then there's all this communication because everything's custom. At, at this point, not everything, but the majority of it, and especially in that growth stage from three, four years ago, everything's custom. And then you have to communicate with people who are, you know, they speak a different language. And a lot of them probably want to speak to you in English. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's actually really crazy to think about, especially because you're not running some sort of production line that's just stamping out a black boot. And then somebody says, I'd love a size 10. It's pretty wild what's, what you've had to deal with, especially as this interest is coming in. And you're doing it all on Instagram, uh, which is not the best place to communicate in an organized fashion with people, with, with DMs back and forth. I mean, it's it's honestly kind of crazy. And I can imagine you know, being quite overwhelmed by that. But the product in the end is always exceptional, you know, like the, the product never fails. And I think that um, it's a testament to just how much you care about that in a time that was probably pretty crazy. Thank you, Ben. What was the most exciting part about all of the, the interest in the growth, especially in the last, you know, three, four years? Our collaboration with Standard and Strange was, wow, a huge moment for us. And then um, also teaching a new artisan, uh, uh, it was fun process too. Um, developing like y- you know most of our main materials was source overseas, but like hardware like eyelets, earrings, all the speed hooks, uh, steel shanks, we develop locally in here. We we made the specs. The specification, the uh, we develop the materials, etc. And also, the, the our last development was leather linings, just like two or three months ago. I can say maybe we made boots with the best leather linings here in Indonesia. <laughs> uh, it's important. It could be seen as a, a small thing, but just in terms of comfort, overall quality. I mean, it makes a huge difference. Why do you think there is this very unique? rare concentration of boot making like very very excellent handmade boot making in indonesia and and specifically bandung why do you think that happened and what is the special sauce over there that that makes it happen yeah i think that was because the opportunity was there we had the opportunity and then we had yeah bandung had a lot of leather artisans maybe back ba- 10 years or 15 years ago, there is only small number of person that can make uh, hand-welted boots. But right now, everybody can study about it. Uh, also, some of our artisans already setting up their own workshops and open up new orders for uh, different brands. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but I don't know. I've always tried to figure it out. Like, There's, there's nowhere really like it anywhere in the world where there's this this concentration of obviously people making these products but people who want to make them and who see that as something that they're excited about and something that they can make a career out of it's wonderful i'm thrilled that it happened but it's also kind of baffling because it doesn't really happen in that way 
anywhere else, especially from a handmade side. So good work, Indonesia. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. What's the cigar workshop look like today uh, in terms of how it's set up and the number of people that you have working and, and how has that changed in the time that cigar has been around for almost a decade and a half? We have moved for four times, I think. This place right now, we already here for more than yeah, around six or seven years. Things are the same because we're still working with hammer and nails, so it looks the same. Yeah, yeah. How do you train people on that? What's that look like? What's the process? Usually, they they started as an assistant. The first uh, lesson was holding a knife because knife was quite dangerous if you didn't hold it properly. They learned to cut the leathers and yeah, holding the knife. And then usually after one year, they are able to make a pair of boots, but usually the quality was not there. Usually after two or three years, they are able to make one pair of proper boots and started from them, they are working with us. So the process was quite long. It takes a long time. You just got to keep doing it, right? All sorts of footwear is, is called handmade. I mean, sometimes it can be accurate and sometimes it can be not accurate at all. And sometimes it can be somewhere in the middle. Sagara and really all Indonesian boots that you know we're interested in, at least, have all the bottoming done by hand, which is some serious stuff. You don't have rapid E machines over there. How would you express what goes into making a cigar? I'm still believe that a handmade touch will always be better than a machine ones. That's why we keep our production style by hand. Do all the things by hand. We didn't have a cutting dice. We cut the leathers by using knife and scissors. We do the, the sole stitching by hand. We put the hole one by one using owl to to make the hole and then we put the threads we enjoy the process if you learning about shoemaking it was kind of meditating but it can be your job at the same time look let's take a quick break uh and then you've got all these boots behind you i think we gotta kind of pull some down talk about them you know styles and patterns and construction and all that but we'll be right back with bagus from cigara Stone's first all-new boot in well over a year, the Garrison Service Boot, is here. And oh, it's a good one. The Garrison encompasses a whole list of firsts for Grand Stone. It's their first true service boot, at least by the definition of utilizing a single-piece heel counter backstay panel. It looks pretty slick. It's also Grand Stone's first time using 270-degree Goodyear welted construction. Also came out very slick. First all-eyelet boot. All-eyelets is always slick. Everybody knows that. And it's absolutely the first appearance of some very fun leathers, including Battleassi Minerva Box and Crimson Classic Kudu from CF Stead, which is certainly more slick than the waxy Kudu tannage they've used in the past. Because the wax can get, like, a little sticky, which is not slick. Sticky is not slick. Really good leather, though. Anyway, those two styles plus Color 8 Horween CXL are the first ones out there, but there's even more very fun garrisonness to come from Grant Stone in the coming months. Give the Garrison Boot and Grant Stone's entire lineup a look at GrantStoneShoes.com. All right, we're back with Bagoose from Cigar Bootmaker, live from Bandung. We should have like a concert. I can say that again. 
you've got all this stuff behind you, some of your creations. I'd love to just talk through, you know, what you're making and and we can show them off for everybody who's watching on our YouTube channel. If you're listening, maybe check out the YouTube channel too. But the kind of core Sigara styles and patterns and then some of the construction techniques that you use because there's there's a bunch of different ones they render differently visually but also kind of inside the boot what do we got can you show us some stuff you, you remember like your boots oh um, yeah by the lassie court masters one of our best sellers this was made using 360 hand welted storm welds and different kinds of technically this is same leathers Belalisi Mineral Oliva, but this one was overdyed black, and uh, the patches was leave it as it is, as the leathers. Regen boots on Petrolio Shell Cordovans. Ooh, those are fun. I love that the green leathers. Um, they are using 270 Norwegian Storm Welted. I love the colors. Can you see? They're beautiful. Um, we also you just finished our new speed hooks. Uh, different than several weeks back. This is uh, uh, our new developed ghost. Whoa. Shell Cordovan. This is a black marble shell Cordovan, but finished with a ghost effect. I rarely do region boots with curve heel like this. And we also have Norwegian stitching here. Those things are serious, man. Shell Cordovan, Bondokers. Oh, God, they're perfect. With fibrum soles. Basic pattern was bondokers, but you can see uh, different than usual bondokers that use raw cord soles or rough side leathers. I love them too. Using two rows flat weld. We rarely do this. It was just flat weld construction, but two rows of stitching. Just to make it harder for the boot makers who are doing that by hand? Yeah. Yeah, but the result was. I, I love the results. Black cognac shell cordovans, not finished yet. We just putting the midsoles, waiting for the outsoles. Austerity broke. Uh, in natural shell cordovan. Oh man, There's a lot of shell up there. This one also shell cordovan. I always mix up between whiskey and cognac. This is yeah, I think whiskey color, whiskey <laughs> color. This is <laughs> Norris. It's. Tough. I'm so, I'm sorry. This is cognac. <laughs> this is this one is cognac. <laughs> you know, when you order them, you expect you're getting the right one. And then you post a picture and people are like, is that whiskey? Is that cognac? Is that bourbon? Is that something else named after liquor? They're all beautiful. That's like the best part about them. But like, I mean, everything you just showed us and everything behind you. And I mean, I definitely encourage everybody to follow the cigar at Instagram. There's really an incredible range, right? Like, you know that I'm, I'm very into your Cordmaster monkey boots like lace the toe boots in general i think it is right there right like who's to say exactly what the best is but man it is on a short list of just this this perfect monkey boot pattern last everything and it's this really rugged boot and and it's such a cool look and then the trail masters are, are kind of in that vein as well right they're outdoorsy they're useful i mean seeing what you do in your pairs like you're really using them it's incredible but then you're you're also making austerity brogues. You're making things that I would say are a world away from the more rugged, you know, kind of lace to toe styles. But it all seems to fit together really well. That's tough. What would you say the 
the overall aesthetic of cigar is and, and how do you accomplish it where you can have boots on completely different sides of the spectrum living together and, and making sense for a brand. Most of our styles was a boots uh, was having purpose the court masters uh, inspired by uh, lineman boots and uh, like the trail masters made for the hikings. They need to have a function but beautiful at the same time, like proportion and then, you know. So I can look at something and be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's just not a monkey boot. That's a cigar monkey boot. But I could do the same thing, you know, for your derby shoes. And we made one together years back, um, which are actually up, up on my shelf. They're, they're immediately identifiable as something that cigar made, even though the styles are, are very different. And that range is, is quite huge. I mean, you make dress shoes and you make lineman boots. That's difficult to do, but there is this, maybe it's tough for me to describe too. There's a, a, a common recognizable thread between it all. It's, it's pretty special, honestly. I think it's quite cool, but it's not like, oh, we just have something for everybody or somebody asked for this, so we made it. And it looks out of place. Like nothing in your lineup looks out of place. It all seems to fit. You mentioned the, the standard and strange collaboration like the ready to wear collaboration from a couple years ago i mean it was so cool and like i rushed into the city saw them on the shelf before they all sold out and got shipped off very very quickly it seemed like a real moment is that something that you you want to do more of whether you know it's just ready to wear in general that, that you're selling which we have seen a bit more of or you know kind of having arrangements with with retailers somewhere yeah, we are looking forward to it. Hopefully in 2024, there will be opportunity for us to have presence in another place or maybe in standard and strings again. Do you know what percentage of high-end boots and shoes, you know, handmade stuff that you make and, and some of these other brands that we've mentioned made in Indonesia are sold domestically versus internationally? Yeah, I didn't have any idea about the whole Indonesian production that goes to overseas or domestically. But for us, I think around 60% overseas. Okay. Well, actually, it, it depends on me because I am the one who who take the customer services for, inter, uh, for international customers. This month, I was quite busy. I didn't answer a lot of inquiries. So the... Sales international was going down, but usually we fill the capacity with domestic customers that are handled by my wife. That's great. And this is this is a mystery that um, I don't think we've ever figured out. Indonesia, it's uh, generally pretty hot and, yeah. and humid, and yet people really enjoy wearing some big old boots, right? And denim and... And all that kind of stuff. Okay, well, actually, not uh, most of Indonesian not love wearing boots in here. Most of us wearing the sneakers or yeah, more casual shoes. I mean, it's the same thing in America, but there's this growing subculture, right? Oh yeah, and I, I love that that exists. There's always, you know, just the idea that the people are there and they're that interested in them that they're making them. In you know, uh, significant quantities and that there's all these different brands 
it's kind of wonderful again it's very unique right like there's there's other places that are you know hot cold humid or not around the world with a whole bunch of people where it's not happening and it is happening there yeah i don't know we, we've always been like oh well they, they love riding motorcycles so they need some boots like nobody's ever really figured out much beyond that oh yeah 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 i love motorcycling actually i i i love the journey uh, not not only while riding the or or feeling the motorcycle only but the the journey itself like seeing the countryside uh, seeing the woods and you need some good boots to do that in yeah yeah of course i would say <laughs> i need trail masters for that that's the one you wear the most at least when you're out adventuring yes it's like maybe lately for, for the past one years i wore trail masters like 70% of my daily activities from uh, playing or working i had uh, maybe five or six pairs of trail masters in different leathers different height different soles for different purposes i love it and so what's the other 30% of the time court masters nice and bone dockers yeah we see that a lot the same way i mean we still we're working on a pair of court masters i feel like we've been talking about forever so I was like, no, 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 let's, let's stop worrying about those. Let's actually just make up a, a podcast and video so we can get back to that. But at some point, I mean, I've been a little obsessed with the trail masters too, the whole time we should talk about those as well, because they're just so cool. They're so like aggressive, right? But still classic. It's a really wonderful. I mean, just the patterning that Cigara does is so spot on proportionally. I think that's one of my favorite things is that just. You know, the, the design, of course, is very important, but millimeters matter when it comes to patterning. Yeah, you guys are just good at it. And I think that might be one of the things that we were talking about earlier that really ties this wide range of styles together under one brand, that precision and, and how you approach patterning where, you know, it's very classic, but there's also there's a little extra that comes out of it. What's the craziest boot you've ever made for somebody custom ordered? Actually, the most craziest boots was, maybe it sounds simple. It was a boot at size 47.5 euro, at, at for, size 47.5. Because it's we cannot find the outsoles, so the customers bring the outsoles by himself. Because we cannot really? find... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Americans. And he was ordering right now maybe four or five times he, he every time he orders he also send the outsoles first oh i love it and then thinking about the design because we cannot find it and you have last that big we made special uh last for him so is that 47.5 it's like a four, 14 14 yeah size 14.5 in us yeah 14 and a half that's pretty big we gotta start sending um some NBA players to you. Yeah. <laughs> it took a lot of letters. It took a lot of letters. Oh, I'm sure. What about a favorite pair that you've made? Do you have one that you say, ah, this one, I love it so much. I'm so glad that somebody's hopefully wearing them a ton. Honestly, it's hard for me to answer. <laughs> That's fair. But right now, my favorite pairs was what I wore today because... I will release this as um, ready to wear. That's a good point too. Like I feel like at the beginning, 
of this Indonesian boot boom, you know, especially in, in the U.S. and in Europe and wherever else internationally, it was a very, very affordable product. And part of that was because of the local leathers. And I mean, I still have a pair of old underhoods um, from five years ago with, you know, whatever Indonesian pull-up leather, and they're great. And it's different than a Horween leather or, you know, an Italian horse butt or certainly shell cordovan. And then I, I feel like people moved. They're like, okay, well, can you get Horween leathers? Can you get Italian horse butt? Can you get shell cordovan? And then obviously that kind of process started and you figured out how to source it and work with it. I feel like a, a return in interest, especially internationally, to some of these Indonesian leathers. I feel like they maybe didn't get the credit that they deserve. Like they're different, but some of them are really quite wonderful uh, that I've been seeing, especially recently. I think it's cool. I think that it's a product made in Indonesia with Indonesian materials. That's a great story. Yeah, I think it was not a bad letters. It, no. it was not bad at all. But yeah, like you said, it was different than stuff from Italy or Horwin. Where is that leather tanned? Is it in Bandung? Is it somewhere else? No, no. It was from Java. From Java. Produced by small tanneries, artisan level. Usually in Indonesia, the good products coming from small workshops. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I haven't like letters from big tanneries in Indonesia. Too artificial. Not just there too, right? Like the majority of leather produced worldwide is not that great. Yeah. Yeah, I have a pair of uh, just mock-toe boots from Midas uh, that Emil made, and they have this this pull-up leather. I forget the whole exact story. Actually, I think they were the collaboration with uh, with our friend Jesper and Skolix that they did a while back. The story was it was just, just some guy, right? And he was tanning these things in, in the middle of nowhere using very old processes it's cool stuff. It's usually a little like lighter weight, I think is one of the the things that people are, I don't know, maybe wanting something that's a little heavier, I guess. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. It has an absolute ton of character and that story behind it, right? Like true artisan work uh, on the tanning and combining with the artisan work that you do in the shop is pretty cool. I, w- I would like to see people kind of get more interested in it. And it's generally a more affordable product too. More affordable. That's correct. So you mentioned... Um, these Trailmaster, the low Trailmasters that you're wearing right now as something that you're excited about. Is there anything else kind of on the horizon that you're working on that you're just amped about? Do you remember you have, I think your, your first court master using Sagara Souls? Yes. I had them resold uh, eventually, but I mean, they had the design on it, right? It was kind of the design behind you on the sign in the tread and they were pretty cool. I should have kept them. I should have said, give me those souls. We are planning to make our own souls again with better qualities and different design, of course. Because the, the previous design was too details and the pattern was easily came off because too much thin hairlines, you know. Mm-hmm. We are planning to make our own souls again in 2024. We are, we are saving for that right now. Bigger picture, we've seen Sagara grow and then all these other brands, you know, kind of spring up in, in Bandung and in, in Indonesia more generally. It's been a crazy ride, right? For the last four or five, 10 years, 
for Sigara. What do you think the next five or 10 years looks like for Indonesian bootmaking? Where does it go? What changes? What are you seeing? I really hope that in the next 10 years, we gather more attention from international and probably we have an opportunity to sit side by side with uh, the luxury brands. Maybe right now, the Italian uh, shoes was credited as the best yeah, at the luxury brands. But I, I I'm really hope Indonesia can have that opportunity too. I'd love to see it. Everything that we talk about on this show is part of a subculture. It's not mass culture. It's not sneakers. It's it's people who really care about something, knowing the person who's making your boots. I mean, what's cooler than that? It's it's still a subculture, right? But within that subculture, yeah, I don't really see any reason why the best Indonesian footwear can't sit side by side with something made in America or Japan or Italy or or Budapest or whatever. For me, it's there, right? The quality's there, the craftsmanship, the precision. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of maybe not always having to send you a DM to order something on Instagram. And how does that change, right? I think that that's one of the biggest things is for most people who don't want to try as hard or don't even realize that trying as hard and designing your own boots is something you can do. You know, they're sitting on a shelf and you can pick them up and try them on and say, man, these things are really good. And then they just buy them and wear them and love them and understand you know, a, a part of the world that they didn't before. I mean, I'd love to see it. And I think it's very, very possible amidst all the chaos of just having to to run a brand and, and build boots and, and market and communicate every single day. Hopefully we can get at that point someday. I believe. We mentioned traveling around in motorcycles and all that, but this is why we're asking everybody now, other than boots and boot making, what else are you just really into? What, what's another passion of yours? Uh, listening to music motorcycling and i love dogs as you know your dogs are incredible thank you they are getting older right now so the energy was not like two or three years back <laughs> when they were still puppy i miss them at their own age you know what i mean i know i know uh, yeah yeah i've got two dogs one's seven now the other one's like just turned two so he's some dogs seem old immediately and some dogs seem like they're going to be a puppy forever. And then it doesn't really happen all the time. You know, they kind of grow up. And, wait, and one of your dogs is named Alden, right? Yep, Alden. I love it. And another one is Shinki from Shinki. Oh, right, Canaries. right. Shinki. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on top of obviously being representative of something, referencing something uh, wonderful, those are just good dog names as far as I'm concerned. But nobody here in Indonesia know what is what the name Alden came from. <laughs> Nobody knows Alden in here in Indonesia. Nobody does. Nobody. Yeah, only people who into boots, but that's not much. Yeah, I have a very good uh, Indonesian friend, my buddy Jovan. Who I mean, he taught me a ton about shoes, especially when I was starting this and, and things that I wasn't really seeing or thinking about. And he loves it all, right? And he's back over there now. He was in New York when we first met. Obviously, I knew about Alden. I mean, he turned me on to Paraboot, Jam Weston, and some really wonderful stuff. So, you know, there are people over there who are thinking about the good stuff worldwide more. And, you know, obviously, the whole point of all of this is just helping it spread, helping people realize just how wonderful it all can be. And hopefully it happens over there, too, especially with this epicenter of, of boot making that really you kind of created 
right? Like over a decade ago. Hopefully local people are also kind of catching on to what you're doing and realizing just how damn cool it is. All right, man. Look, thank you so much for doing this. Um, quick shout out again to Grant Stone for sponsoring this episode. Absolutely love you guys. Check out grantstoneshoes.com. Bagus, this is called five years in the making, definitely a year of going back and forth and, and figuring out uh, how to do this and make it happen. Thank you for tolerating me speaking just silly English <laughs> and dealing with that. I know it's not the easiest, but I eventually wore you down on, on doing this episode. I'm really glad that we did it. It's a very meaningful one to me. So thank you so much for doing it. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right, man. We'll talk soon. That's it for this week. Take care of your shoes. See you next time. <laughs>